the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 163. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast and that's not it you can share our show on social media or with your friends and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on itunes all of this helps our little show immensely and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts now on to the show good morning unruffles sandra again and it is still May, if you are keeping track. Um, I am still soloing the podcast. And it's been so fun. I hope you guys have been enjoying this author series because I have really been enjoying doing it, putting it together for you guys. And I am loving um, that I've gotten to read new things this month so far. And I'm especially loving that I get to introduce, um, some authors to you that you may have not, that may have not been on your radar. And, um, today is no exception. Um, today on the podcast, I have Jocelyn Harvey. Um, Jocelyn's life changed in January, 2016, when she got sober a few months before her 25th birthday, a lifelong sharer She immediately started talking about her recovery from alcohol online. As her following grew, she didn't shy away from speaking about depression, anxiety, and all the amazing things that come out of recovery, like writing a decluttering guide for sober women called Recovering the Home. You can find Jocelyn's recovery-focused posts on sharing my sobriety and also follow her on her new venture, called soul and mindset, which we're going to talk about, um, at the end of the show. And if you want to follow her on Instagram, she's at sharing my sobriety. Um, her new venture is at soul underscore and underscore mindset. Um, her websites are recoveringthehome.com and soulandmindset.com. And we're going to talk about her ebook, Recovering the Home. But she has given, she's been very generous to give a code um, to our list, to, to all, you, all of you guys. And the code is unruffled15, and you will get 15% off her ebook, Recovering the Home. So, welcome to the show, Jocelyn. 
Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, So glad to get to talk to you about this today. So where are you talking to our listeners from, Jocelyn? Well, I am talking to you all from beautiful Burlington, Vermont, way up north on the East Coast on Lake Champlain. And even specifically, I am sitting in my comfy bed. Oh, yay. Well, and you're probably needing to still be cozy and comfortable, right? Because it's chilly. Still a little bit chilly. It is. You know, it's funny. We'll have days where it's like 37 degrees and it's like some days are like a warm 37 and some days are a cold 37. So we're settling into the warmer weather, but you just never know what you're going to (laughs) need. Right. And perfect segue for you to talk to us about your book, Recovering the, the Home. But before we get into that, Specifically, why don't you tell our listeners um, a little bit about your recovery story from alcohol? Yeah, so the down and dirty of it really was I ended up getting sober in January 2016, a few months before I turned 25 years old. So I was still on the fairly young side, but even though um, by the time I got to the end of it, I was a daily drinker, a daily heavy drinker. Um, binging on the weekends. I had um, really, really bad mental health at that time. Um, A lot of anxiety, deep depression. And, you know, leading up to that over the years, I had had um, a lot of pretty intense moments with drinking, but I always just thought I would grow out of them. And it became really abundantly clear um, a few months before I got sober that I wasn't going to be growing out of those, or I thought I wasn't going to be growing out of those. And basically what happened was, even though I had been a daily drinker, um, in January, January 10th, I I woke up that morning and just started bawling. And I was like, I can't do this anymore, because I was so physically and mentally tired by the end of it, too. I was kind of sick of drinking, but I had that physical dependency to do it. And I just was like, I can't do this anymore. And um, a few weeks later, I went to my first meeting, someone at work who I knew was sober. They hooked me up with a woman who brought me to my first meeting. And that was really the beginning of like the hugest change I've made in my life. Absolutely. And I'm always, when I hear stories of, of, of men and women that get sober in their 20s, I'm just so... Uh, wowed and impressed by your self-awareness, your willingness to change, like all of those things. I'm just, congratulations on on that decision. I mean, I'm just so impressed by that. And the fact that you just didn't, you know, you're not just not wasting any more time. I mean, I, I try not to live in regret, but it's hard. You know, I didn't get sober until I was 45. And so that was a was a whole lot of time spent um, drinking or I went when I could have used that time doing something else and you know and I'm I'm I wouldn't be where I am had I not done those things and taken that path but um, you know it's hard not to be regretful sometimes and so anyway I'm just very impressed and inspired by you well, thank you. And I feel that way, maybe not necessarily with the drinking length, but there's some things I'm like, you know, I don't regret that it happened. I needed to go through that experience. I just wish I didn't stay in it for as long. 
as I let myself stay in it. Some old dating habits I used to have just like, oh, I could have learned that much faster, but it it is what it is or it was what it was. Right. No, I know. I know. Um, Well then, so what, what inspired you then to turn your attention to your home? Yes. So kind of goes in two parts. When I got sober initially, as some people probably know, you just have suddenly a lot of free time on your hands, Um, not going out to the bars anymore, just letting it all sink in. And I was in my house a lot. And I was especially looking at the things I used to buy because before I had my sharing my sobriety, I had this like wannabe aspirational account where I was like taking photos of the knickknacks around my house and my outfits. And, and I was looking at all this stuff and my life had changed enough in sobriety that I was like, whoa, these things that I used to buy to try to impress people, to try to make myself feel good, are these things I actually want in my life? All of these things I bought for hobbies are these hobbies that I actually enjoy. So yeah, getting sober really changed that and opened my eyes to what I was surrounding myself with. I've also always been a big homebody. I've really settled down in any place that I've been in because I went to boarding school for three years before I went to high school. So I've really enjoyed having my own place because there was a lot of years that I didn't. Um, And then lastly, sometimes I will bring this up when it comes up about the home is a few months before I got sober, someone, um, I'm for people who aren't seeing the photo, I'm a, I'm a black woman and um, someone left a Klan flyer on my door um, (gasps) back in 2015. And it was, a hellacious time for a lot of reasons, but it made me realize like how connected I was to my home and my space. So when you like brought all those things together, it just made so much sense that like, wow, I really love this home. It protected me through a lot. It's been through a lot. Like, how can I make it an even better space? Mm. Oh God. I'm so sorry that happened. Jesus. That is, ugh. I mean, it was, it was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. That's so, I mean, what a, I mean, you could have had any sort of reaction to that. Um, so that that's uh, come in. the, The fact that you turned that into something, um, I don't, I can't even, I don't even have language for what I'm trying to say, but the fact that you turned that experience into something, um, that built you up and, and is so amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless almost, um, obviously. Um, so besides your book, Jocelyn, what, what do we need to get started on this? What do we need to get started before we even touch on the book? Um, I guess, you know, not much. I think the most important thing is, is like coming into it with acceptance, excitement, and no shame when I wrote this book, I didn't end up writing this book until I was just over like two years sober, or maybe I wrote it after I had turned 
turned three, so to speak. Um, so there was a bit of time before I got, you know, pen to paper. But when I did this, I really wanted to make sure that it was light and that it was inspirational and that it wasn't filled with shame. So that's what I would say is like really important is to come to it with this like understanding that some things are going to get dredged up, but you don't have to feel bad about what you've had or bought or done in the past. I, I like really wanted to make sure that was infused throughout the book because there can be a lot of shaming language, even in recovery. Mm -hmm. And I just did not want that there, especially because I wrote this very specifically for women who have just like, we have had so much shame pushed down on us over hundreds and hundreds of years. So that's really all I would say, like, one needs to come into it, just like knowing it's going to be like a very warm, inviting experience to go through. And you're right. You are such a gentle guide through this. There's like no, um, there's no shaming language at all. As a matter of fact, you, you tell, um, you weave a lot of your own personal stories throughout to kind of illustrate you know, what, like, like what alignment means, for example. And, um, I love that you did that. Why, why was that important to you to, to, to I mean, tell some kind of, you know, not they they were anecdotal, but some were very revealing stories that you told and, and, um, but it made it so, um, by doing that, you, you took that, sh you took that shame element away, I think. Yeah, I would say that really came from being in a more traditional recovery program in 12 step where like, you know, you go through and you do this work of like an inventory and you share it with someone and usually part of the process is like, at some point, they'll share something with you and you go like, wow, like, I thought that that was like, the worst thing that like, I've done, but like, you've shared that you've done something the same or like, even on like, a higher level, in a sense, just to be like, you know, we have all done things. And um, if you don't talk about them, of course, it's not going to be out there. And again, kind of going back to the whole like, this book being like written for women and knowing that I wrote this kind of a few years into sobriety. Um, if you were coming onto my page and seeing the newer stuff, it's sort of you might be seeing like a more quote, you know, polished me or like, oh, she must like have it all together. But I mean, I don't. But at the beginning, I'm a, I was at a much different place when I first got sober. I think a lot of us are. So just being able to share like, hey, like I've been through this. Like I know what it's like. It's okay. Right. To make it relatable. And if you can do it, somebody else can. It's that um, attraction rather than promotion that is said in the rooms, I think, too. It's like, no, I've, I've been there. I've been on the floor many times and um, you're right. It makes it relatable and doable. I, I have to say that like, I certainly could have used your book <laughs> when I quit drinking almost six years ago, because I'm the kind of person who gets really overwhelmed with projects like this. And I mean, I'm not a minimalist um, I've never condoed anything. And I, I know you referenced the book that Marie Kondo's book at the very beginning, that it was very life-changing for you. And, and I don't know what my resistance is to that. I think it's because I'm sentimental and I like stuff and I'm like a maximalist. Um, but 
I recently had the opportunity to go through every single little thing because I'm remodeling my house and we had to move everything out of the house. And so, but it took me, you know, this was just, you know, six months ago that I did this. So it took me that long to go through every little thing. And I think what I love most about your book is that you have this four-step process and um, it just kind of takes the overwhelm out of it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what your four-step process is for each room? Of course, of course. And just like kind of a funny backstory too is like I dabble a little in astrology. I don't know too much about it. Um, but like I am a Pisces, so I have that really creative energy, but I'm like very organized. And I was like, why am I so like this in certain areas? But I learned that I have a Virgo rising and that's your rising science apparently, like where you really like see yourself and Virgos, mm-hmm. I guess, are very like to the yeah. point and organized. And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. But yes, like when I wrote this, it's interesting because I, it's not like when I organized, I like sat down and took myself through this process to a point like organization in a sense comes naturally to me. But when I looked back, I was able to see like, okay, like I did go through this and I did want to make sure like I understood certain areas before I just started decluttering. So it just made sense to be able to package it in a way that if like organizing and decluttering wasn't your forte, you'd be able to move through it. So with the steps, I'll kind of give a little brief um, follow through. Um, They're understanding, aligning, reflecting, and personalizing and you do this in every space and I start um, in the closet first just because a lot of people have experience going through their closets quite regularly and then I did um, the bedroom the bathroom the kitchen and the living room um, and I was kind of strict about how you move through the house that way but with understanding it I just felt that it was so important to understand why you are starting to declutter your home and that this wasn't a decluttering or organizing book that was like you need to get down to like five t-shirts three pairs of jeans like this many or just to feel like you need to just toss stuff but to bring some intentionality to the work that you're doing Um, because what I've seen with myself and with a lot of people is you go through all your stuff you get rid of it and then you're not really thinking about why you got rid of it and you start to reaccumulate things that you've gotten rid of just in a different form and then that can bring shame back because you're like oh my gosh I just got rid of all this stuff so that was really important was just to being able to walk into a space and honestly say this is why I don't like this space like it's because I find that it's like living in the past or cluttered or dirty and just being okay with that and not sitting in that energy forever but just admitting and then being like, well, this is what I don't like about it. Okay. This would be the opposite. I love how I would want. (laughs) Yeah. I love how you did that. The note I wrote down was why, why a space bothers you. So you write down, even if it's just key words, those kind of negative words, well, it's cluttered or it's, it's um, sparse or it's busy or, and then you, yeah, you have, you have the reader then like choose the opposite of that. So that kind of brings in what you do want. And I love how you did that. Thank you. I was, I was actually very proud of that myself. I was like, this makes sense. Yes. (laughs) Then in the aligning, which is essentially the decluttering step, um, before, actually before you even go into it, what really makes this, um, 
aimed at women in recovery from alcohol is before you go through most of your stuff, you look for like the overt and covert signs of drinking, which I talk about in each section. So like the overt is like, I had a champagne for breakfast sign from like TJ Maxx that needed to go. That was just not part of my life anymore. But I would also have these like clothing items that would have like really tough ingrained memories from when I was drinking and when I blacked out one night and being like, you know what, I don't need this piece in my life anymore, even though it's beautiful and it doesn't outwardly appear to be, you know, negative, I have that connotation around it. So looking at that or, you know, another example I gave is like, I used to always keep Advil bottles next to my bed because I would wake up so hungover. And over time, I was like, I don't need to do that anymore. I'm not waking up like death every morning. So it's, it's going through the space like that. And then it's starting to, as you're getting rid of stuff, looking at like, am I removing this from my life? because it's not in alignment with how I want this space to look again. So it's not just like tossing things in like the yes, no, or maybe pile. Um, the other two ones were reflecting. So reflecting was just a lot of journal work and seeing if you can notice patterns too in you know what you decided to align and remove from your life. Um, and then also being able to give yourself a pat on the back for the big work that you did. And this is just the cementing and reminding ourselves like this is why we got rid of things because when you move into the next step personalizing that's essentially shopping so again making sure that we're not bringing in twins essentially of what right. we've already worked so hard to remove and that was the process that you bring through every different room and again I love starting with the closet because it's just such a familiar space for so many of us and it's also a really fun space as well Right, right. And I love how you, how, I love the personalizing part, of course, but you know, you also talk about, you know, if shop, shopping stresses you out or if it's not in the budget, then you, you, you offer some creative, you know, also offer a lot of creative ideas on how to make that happen. Yeah, that was a big one too, was, um, one of my things I've done over time, maybe not like right when I got sober, but like a desk, you know, adding like a fresh coat of paint to it. Maybe you don't want to completely get rid of it or, or new hardware to make it look more um, aligned with the aesthetic that you want. Or in one place I talk about, like I used to have this, it wasn't quite a bar cart, but I used it as a bar cart. And I was like, you know what, this is still a really useful piece. I'm not going to get rid of it, but it's become a lot of it's held a lot of different things over the years. So finding that flexibility of when it's okay to be like, nope, this needs to go. And then also like, how can I re repurpose this item? This is, I say this in the book, as much as like, don't bring shame into it. The idea of this is not to have a Pinterest, Instagram, magazine perfect house like if I were to take a photo of the bedroom right now some people might think like this person did like a decluttering organizing like my house is most definitely not perfect I'm so at peace with the things that I have in my house oh I love that I love that right like everything just feels intentional and integrated and that's just really for me that's like the goal of of that's the the good part of being sober for me is just feeling aligned and integrated and intentional and the thing I love about this too and it's like plot twist not plot twist spoiler I say this at the end like once you've gone through this process like how often do you you know redo it because if you're doing any sort of 
upkeep work, including like spiritual upkeep, people will tell you like, oh, every three months, every six months. And I say like, you know, you'll just know. And also like, maybe you'll do this process again, or you'll realize like, actually, I kind of want to get into like feng shui, or I want to try something else. It's not the like, this is how you organize your house and your, in your home and your belongings. And you do this every single time. Right. Like, take your t-shirts you must be it. rolled. <laughs> <laughs> what you need from it like I Marie Kondo like my clothes I even Marie Kondo like my underwear but that is just because I enjoy that and I've been doing it long enough but it's a lot of flexibility and like what works for you and then you know tweaking it over time right right um you talk about at the beginning of the book you talk about perfectionism um will you talk a little bit about that because that's a topic that comes up so often I'm with women maybe out of recovery, but it's especially with women in recovery. Can you talk about that a little bit and like how that hinders you from, from maybe, you know, doing this exercise? Yeah. So it's going to show up, I believe in a few ways. You're either going to, if you're a very anxious, worried person, I, that's me, um, that it might stop you from moving forward because you're getting stuck in like what this, you know, could be and how it might, you know, not turn out the way that you want it to. So you just don't even make any movements because you think it's going to be wrong. Um, another thing is if you are someone that is very like ingrained into like the aesthetics and Instagram and Pinterest and stuff like that, like being a perfectionist about it is you might have a tendency to go out and start purchasing things that you think are going to make you more acceptable in the world or make your place more likable, even if they're not like really what's aligned with you. I, I think I say in the book too, you can appreciate something and also not have to bring it into your life and want it. Um, so yeah, that like perfectionism is just really hard. And this is such a beautiful place to practice letting it go because it's really only you that's seeing it. You and like, you know, maybe your your partner. This is not something that is going to be like viewed by the entire world. So you can have a ton of fun with it. Right. I love that. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'll have to say that the kitchen was the hardest space for me. <laughs> it's a hard one. <laughs> it was the hardest. I tell you, it, it, I, so much of my, in the end of my drinking, like the last, I don't know, 10 years, I guess, of my drinking took place in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tied up in cooking and entertaining and, and, sneaking and just so much. And like I had this, um, it was a pie safe. You were talking about your bar cart. We have this pie safe in our kitchen. Um, that's a lovely piece, a lovely antique piece that you would like that they used to put, you know, pies in to <laughs> there's like little doors on it that have screens and you would put your pies in there to let them cool. And there's like space on the bottom. Well, that, that was a, a piece that just held all the drinking paraphernalia. And it was hard for me to like just recover cooking for a while. Like I had to, I had to get really creative about that. I had to use my crock pot in the morning and I had to, you know, order out or rely on my husband um, because just the act of cooking in the evening was super triggering for me for a while. Um, but 
this pie safe. <laughs> like I lived with all of that drinking paraphernalia in there. Like every day I just lived with it for a year. And I don't know what was keeping me from tackling it. You know, it was like part overwhelm. Maybe it was the, a little bit of perfectionism in me because it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Do I like get rid of the whole thing? Or, you know, like it needed to, it needed to, like I needed to take it to its finality, whatever it was. I didn't want it to be like a work in progress. And until one day it, I just have finally had enough. And I was like, today's the day I got boxes. I, you know, dumped everything, like all the glassware went to Goodwill, except for save like four stemless wine glasses. And I got rid of all the stuff, you know, the bottles went and really the only thing that was left was like vermouth and, you know, things, gross <laughs> things like that. You know, there was, as there was no, like, there wasn't really drinkable alcohol in, in there it left in there. And anyway, and, um, but I just got rid of everything and I filled it with cookbooks and I cannot tell you how, I mean, I, I, I would, I get teary every time I pass it for a while because it was just, it just felt so good. It was like, why did I wait this long to do this? A and B it, it, it just, the feelings that it produced in me was just so, uh, you know, like couldn't, couldn't beat it for a long time. It just felt so good. It's so beautiful. And yeah, it's like, it's really, it's really hard to do some of these things, even if it seems so obvious, but the pieces that we can repurpose and like, especially furniture, it's a little, I think it's a little easier to let go of some clothes, but you know, with furniture, it's worth thinking about like you did. And it's so great to be able to do that and to see it in a new light. And, you know, recently I had this experience of needing to get rid of something. So, um, last year I was really, really sick with, um, what ended up being endometriosis. Oh. And I was in like so much pain. Like every day I had a heating pad on like my lower back or like my pelvis, like all the time. And like this CVS heating pad, I don't know how it has a two-star review. Cause like I worked that thing into <laughs> the ground and even after surgery and things got better, I would still use it. It was sort of like this comfort thing. And then a few weeks ago, it suddenly died, but well, not suddenly, <laughs> a few weeks ago, it finally passed on. And I was like, I left it like kind of like rolled up on the couch for like five days keep and I kept meaning to be like I need to throw this out this doesn't work but there was like still this like part of me that was attached to it like even though it, it signified like such an extremely painful and challenging part of my life and I like would talk to my um, fiance about it and I'm like I know I know and then one day I was like okay today's the day and I just had to like put it in the trash and walk away but I am not a sentimental person really which makes decluttering a bit easier but the fact that I was getting so sentimental over this like $30 heating pad like I feel you really weird things things come up that you wouldn't you know expect but it feels so much better when you're able to make the change whether it's like completely removing it or repurposing it and yeah. <laughs> Our belongings are strings. Right. And I think that's what I love so much about your book is that you, you know, you invite the reader to have a journal, um, when you're going through this process and you, and, and with every space you ask the same kind of set of questions, but I think what it, 
what it does is it makes it, it like addresses the fact that a lot of times it's not just as simple as taking something to the curb. It's, you know, there's sometimes there's grief to process even. And, you know, and I think that that's probably what, you know, that PySafe represented. It was like, you know, this is really, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to experience some grief because this is a, this was a part of my identity and, and now it's, it's changing. And, and this, this act really solidifies that. And, um, you know, and so I think I can see how if I had had your, your journaling prompts, it would have helped so much with the processing of it. Because yeah, like you said, you know, whether you're sentimental or not, you know, because we are recovering, um, we, we have, there's a lot of emotion attached to our things because they, they're more than just things. They represent a life and an old identity. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes it's a very drastic change that people make, but other times in the identity, it's like, if someone had come in and like looked at my home after I, you know, did, did the Marie Kondo thing in early recovery, it wouldn't be very apparent, but it was. So it can be, yeah, it's challenging if you don't have, you know, the questions, which I probably didn't have at that first time either. Cause it's like, you, feel, you can feel sort of like crazy and like, what's, what's wrong with me in this, but it's, you know, you're going through, you're going through something. And if I look back at it with a lot more compassion too, it's like I was in my mid twenties when I went through that. I imagine every decade has that like weird point where it feels like you're going through like this big, like change. I call my twenties like second puberty, second puberty. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a weird time anyway. And then when you throw trying to get sober on top of that, it's like, of course, a lot of things are going to come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you wrote this line that I that I copied and pasted into my notes. I assure you that it'll be more impactful than you'd expect. Through this process, you won't just sim- be simply rearranging your life; you'll be redefining it. And that's exactly that's exactly what it is. Mm, thank you. I feel like I'm on Oprah right now when she's like, "That's a tweetable moment." It's a tweetable. <laughs> tweetable y'all and it's it's totally true in that like I think when people and and this is like to go on like a slight like societal like tangent like when people look at like decluttering and the stuff it is like very much aimed at women it's like a the home is still very much like a woman's domain and it's not just like going through your stuff and like you know rebuying there's like deepness to it and owning that there's deepness to it and I know that myself, I kind of felt that it was like a little frivolous at first that I was doing this. I actually remember having her book and I like brought it out of my bag and like put it on a table once in front of my friend. And I was like, this book is life changing. And someone, I was at brunch and they like looked over at me like I was crazy. (laughs) But these things are really impactful and powerful and like opening up on that. Like this isn't just something to do, you know, just because it can really bring a lot of new things to your life. Yeah, absolutely. And then like towards the end, you talk about how this is a practice of learning to trust ourselves. And I love that too, because that, that is, uh, that could 
that includes all of recovery. I think it's all a process of learning to trust ourselves and learning, learning to like finding out what we like and Mm -hmm. then being okay with liking what we like, regardless of what's trendy or what's, you know, what social media tells us we should like. And, um, I love that you said that because it's, it's true. That's exactly, um, that applies to the home so, so profoundly. Mm, and I like don't want to segue yet into like soul and mindset stuff, but like something I've been do. talking about mm-hmm. a lot on this, this new site. And then I think about this, I didn't have this exact like phrase and language when I wrote this, but I talk a lot over there about like having spiritual training wheels. And when we start to get into these things like trust and intuition and following guidance or like, you know, whatever you want to call it. So often it's like, we're trying to do it on these really big things like jobs, moves, relationships. Like that's, that's what we're starting on. And it's like, no, start on something small, like start in your home. I mean, still a big place, but you know, trying to decide whether or not you want to keep like a certain dress is uh, still vastly different than deciding what you want to do about a job and a move. So just being able to build that up because something I I have seen in myself and noticed kind of in other people in in recovery is there can still be that like immense sense that we can't trust ourselves. And I think Mm. some people can like push that language that like, well, we made a lot of bad decisions in the past when we were drinking. So we're kind of just like incapable. Right. You need to shut up and follow direction or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that can be like just extremely damaging, especially once you get past like your first few months and your first year to be able to like trust yourself to make decisions on your own. And then that also helps like trusting yourself to know, like, like I know when I can figure out something on my own. And I also know like, you know what, I'm going to talk to either a friend or my sponsor or my therapist or someone else about this. Um, Being able to do both, I think is just so so important because that language can be really stifling. Mm, I agree. I know. I like what you're, what you're saying. Um, yeah, especially as women, we, uh, yeah, our egos have been most likely have been trampled and, um, our voice has, you know, we have quieted our voice often, um, when we were drinking. And so, yeah, learning, learning to trust your intuition and to, you know, trust that you're worth it and it's okay to take up space and, and to, um, yeah. And just to follow, uh, yeah, again, like I said, follow, follow your intuition and like what you like. I love that. Well, since you mentioned it, Tell our listeners then about your new venture, um, Soul and Mindset. What is that? Um, yes. What is that offering? <laughs> so towards the, I still very, very rarely post on sharing um, my sobriety. Maybe like once a month I'll pop on and say something. But at the end of it, I noticed I wasn't just focusing on recovery. I was doing a lot of other like spiritual mindfulness growth style work. And that was starting to get into my recovery writing. Um, And at that point I was just burned out a lot. I'd had surgery. I'd had a year of not feeling super well. I'd written a book. I was like, I need to just take some time off of Instagram. 
um, started doing some like needlepoint (laughs) (laughs) after like a few weeks, I was like, you know what, I'm going to really start working on this spiritual stuff and throw my, my hat into that ring or, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Throw my hat in because, you know, I wanted to be another voice in it. Um, because we're all just going to connect to different people. And I wanted to be able to bring in my experience as well, being a black woman. Yes. Um, the spiritual wellness space is still extremely, extremely white. I think you there's a right. lot of messaging that is, doesn't take into consideration, like not just race privilege, but like a ton of different privileges. And I was like, you know what? Like I've experienced both sides of a lot of things and I want to be able to bring that in there. I wanted to be able to bring in healing that is accessible in the sense that like, I don't, myself spend two hours a day doing like various forms of healing nor do I expect other people to do that um and bringing it in with language that isn't shaming because just like in um the recovery world sometimes there can be some like underlying like shame (laughs) that goes on in spirituality and growth and being able to to bring that in there bring in the flexibility and and the self-trust so I really started working on the site around January it's starting to pick up and in hopefully in a few months I'll be have I'll have a course coming out I have the framework for it on befriending anger which I'm so excited anyone can take it but it's really going to be a course aimed at women getting in touch with their anger and not fearing it and I think it'll also be great for women in recovery because there is still that language around anger being this one emotion that we're like we're not supposed to have and should like dread because if we're ever angry we'll relapse and what I have learned so much in recovery, especially getting like outside help, like in therapy is, you know, when you understand your emotions or just have a better understanding, it's always evolving. You're not afraid of them. You're not ashamed of them. You can actually like let them come and go rather than repress them. So I'm really excited just to be able to bring a lot of different like opinions and teachings and understandings to this new space. I love that. And I so, so appreciate you doing that. I mean, I have such a dichotomy of feelings like, you know, half of me says, well, of course there should be women of color in this space. And obviously you shouldn't have clan flyers on your door. And, um, you know, of course, of course we need more voices and they're all welcome in all spaces. But then I also know that I am a white woman and I always have been, and I have that privilege and I, you know, am, am blinded by that. And I so appreciate my friends that remind me of that, that that is my, you know, that is my, that is my privilege for being, for, for being blind and not seeing the fact that it is, um, it is absolutely uneven. And so I, I love that you're doing this and I love that you brought up anger and I, I, it's, it's hard for me as a woman to be angry and not get, um, and, and, and not fear being called a bitch or, um, psychotic or out of control. Um, 
but I think that is, I would only assume that that especially is true for women of color. Oh gosh. It's, it's weird. It's almost like in a sense we are allowed it a little more. Cause there's like not the phrase like angry white woman, like angry black woman is such a phrase. Um, but it still has its own, you know, negative negatives. It's like, I can pull like a tone a little more and no one has ever said that to me, but like, I can just tell it's like, okay, that's what you're thinking right now. I'm just saying something like a man would say, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably even more subtler. And yeah, it's just like, it's such an interesting anger, like in recovery and spirituality. It's so, it's touched upon like so weirdly. And I know I will definitely like bring it up in meetings sometimes when we get into anger. And I say, you know what, I'm going to be very blunt. There are many segments in this world that, um, that have not been allowed their anger, that have not been shown how to express their anger and to tell them that they can't be angry. Like obviously no one wants to be angry all the time, or maybe some people do. (laughs) Um, I'm like, I just also can't stand for that either. And no one has like ever pulled me aside afterward and told me off, but it's just like, it's really hard for me to like sit there and like hear from like predominantly men that like (laughs) we are now not allowed to be angry. And I'm like, oh, it's just one of the many things we all go through. <laughs> right. And yes, yes. When, and especially when there are so many things. Um, I mean, I don't often use that term spiritual bypassing, but there's so many things that are worthy of our anger. And if, and it's, and you know, and if we're not ever angry, then that's just another emotion that we're not allowing when it's justified. Totally. And when I, I've noticed that in the past year, the more that I accept my anger and see it and work through it. And I also tend to know like how long that I'm going to be angry about a a certain situation. It's just how long it usually plays out. It starts to move through a lot faster and it processes in a way that's like not so damaging to me every time versus when I was like, nope, I'm not angry. I'm just going to like sit down in meditation right now when it's like, you know, something really terrible happened on the news or something really mean to me was said or whatever. It's like, we're, we're allowed to, to be able to sit in that. Absolutely. That is such a good point. I love how you combine like introspection or what you call soul work, um, with action. Um, because I think that sometimes, you know, I often have see, you know, women that I, that I know or work with or whatever, and they are, they're kind of one or the other. Sometimes they either do a lot of introspection and a lot of digging and a lot of uh, peeling the onion or whatever, you know, (laughs) but then they don't combine that with, um, solution often, or sometimes it's the other extreme where we're just all about, you know, solution and doing the next right thing without actually kind of doing that introspective work. Why do you think it's important to honor both of those things? Oh, I just, I think it's so important because it keeps things more balanced. Um, You know, I write on, on the soul and mindset site is when you do a lot of soul work, which is 
for a long time was my favorite is you work on these like really hard things about yourself and then you come out of it and you feel better and then you dive back into like what's the next hard thing about myself and I think that can lead just to being really burnt out and I think if we're not mindful it can reinforce that like belief that like I'm not good enough and there's always things wrong with me and it can just start to be a really draining place after like you know a year of doing work like that and then if you're just focused on mindset I think it can repress a lot of things that are going wrong or you can get into a very Pollyanna state um, or toxic positivity, um, or just not like addressing that it's, oh, <clears throat> oh, pardon, that it's okay to feel, you know, not great at times. So I think when you like can bounce back and forth between the two of them and honor and honor that it feels a lot more even, and it's like different things to work on. I love working on myself. Um, but it's just different areas that I can work on flexing those muscles. Mm, I love that. So before we get to your three things, Jocelyn, because we're coming up on an hour, why don't you tell our listeners, I know I said at the top of the show, but maybe remind our listeners like where they can get your ebook um, if they want to work on their home, which I highly recommend this book, you guys. And, or, um, and also tell our listeners, yeah, a little bit about your new offering and how they can work with you through your new program. Yes. So you can, and I'll just say it quickly because I know you'll put it in the show notes, but for really recovery focused stuff, even though I'm only posting maybe like once or twice a month, um, still going on at sharing my sobriety. I love the posts in there. I go really deep and raw and vulnerable and, you know, talk about mental health and depression and, you know, all these things. And yeah, I will always keep that page open. And um, in the link in the bio, you can go to the uh, website recoveringthehome.com. And that's where you can um, search through the website, get to know a little about the ebook. Um, and you can purchase the ebook as well with the code. And I've set that to like never expire. So if you're listening oh, to this you. in a few years, like enjoy as long as the site's up, which I'm sure it still will be. And then um, my new one is at soul underscore and underscore mindset on Instagram. I'm posting to that a lot. I do a lot of stories. So you get to know like my fun, sassy, quirky side. It's not just like, I do not want to put off as oh, I'm this, you know, perfect spiritual mindfulness person. You get to see the silly side of me. Um, and then my website is soulandmindset.com. And like I said, hopefully before summer, I'll have the Befriending Anger course come out. I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm actually the woman I worked with for a writing coach to do Recovering the Home. She's now going to be my business coach. We're starting working together next week. I'm really excited. So that, I mean, it's definitely going to be coming up. I have the page so you can actually... um, log on or log on, um, sign up to the email subscription list and I'll be doing early bird pricing for that. And then I'm going to do a podcast as well, because like I said, (gasps) I love to be doing like a lot of different things. So that I still don't have like a date on, but there will be a podcast this year. And what, 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 what I'm so excited. I, I will listen to your podcast. What will your focus be? My focus will be, um, brevity is not my strong suit. So my focus will be being able to like really expand on those longer 
points on my Instagram account or on my blog and just being able to, you know, bump them out to like a half hour, hour long episode. Oh, I love it. And will you have guests and that kind of thing or just? Yeah, I'll probably do mostly myself as I get used to it and then start bringing guests on as well. Well, good luck. Let me know if you need any tips, although I don't know if I have them. You probably know more than I do about podcasting, but I'm very excited about that. And um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear your podcast. You, your ideas are, I don't, they're just refreshing. And I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing in all of these spaces. Um, okay, Jocelyn. Well, this is the this is the time of the show that we um, offer um, our guests to share three things with our listeners, three things from your unruffled toolbox. And these are things that can be related to recovery or creativity or your home or however you would like to relate them. Um, These are things that keep you less agitated, unruffled, content, peaceful maybe even happy. (laughs) What are your three things? Yes. So this one specifically for creativity, really it's time management. Um, Because I'm working full time and have all this other stuff going on in my life. Like I always set aside Saturdays to work on my posts for the week and I can just really get in the zone. So having these set times that I can sit down and write has been really helpful. It's not maybe the most romanticized thing, but it's what works. Um, Walks. That's a big one. That's a big one for creativity, for mental health, for recovery. Um, Just getting outside breathing fresh air, um, listening to uplifting things, or if I have creative stuff going on, I, I know whenever I like walk, it just kind of like irons everything out. So I'm just like such a big believer on walks, especially if you have anxiety. Oh, it, it's really, really helpful for walks. I agree. And then the last one, this is a big one, um, is just being flexible you know, don't be rigid with any of your tools, like be flexible in like knowing what kind of season that you're in, Um, being flexible with the fact that we're just in different stages of our lives and we need to change things up. Like when we get so rigid in the way we've been doing things, you know, that can start to bring on the shame and the frustration. So, you know, just be open to like a little bit of wiggle room, put up the framework, but, you know, be a little loose with it too. I love those. And you are newly engaged, right? Yes, I am. And you are being introduced to all things flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. And um, I hope that you weren't planning a wedding anytime soon. Um, no, I'm actually, if I had it my way, it would be like waking up at like six, we're both early risers, but waking up at six in the morning, going down to the waterfront, getting married and then coming back to bed. I don't dance. Right. I obviously don't drink. I don't like having my photo taken. No pomp or circumstance. Oh my gosh. Yes. So this has been great to like, everyone's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. COVID-19, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Good. Oh, <laughs> right. And that's perfect. That'll give you an excuse just to make it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. It's COVID. We- I think yeah. I'm good until fall before I really need to think of anything. Right. Sorry. We can't do anything big. No, no gatherings. So, 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Jocelyn, it was so lovely talking to you. And um, I'm so excited for our listeners to dig into your book, you know, if they have not recovered the home. I know it's a topic. It comes up all the time. And we have so much resistance to it. Um for so many re different reasons. And I think your book is just such a gentle approach, offers such a gentle approach to, to this. And, and gosh, it feels so good having done it, right? It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jocelyn. Well, you have a good day and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.